0: Please turn with me to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew, or your neighbor might have one. Go ahead and snuggle up close. It's a joy to spend time in the Word together. It might go without saying that one of my favorite childhood television shows was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I remember sitting in front of the TV and this gentle, kind man would walk through the door. He'd walk over to his closet, take off his stuffy suit coat, put on a nice, warm cardigan sweater. He'd take off his dress shoes and put on some famous sneakers. And he'd greet me. With the question: Won't you be my neighbor? And in the last couple of weeks, as I've been preparing for the sermon. I spent a lot of time studying Mr. Rogers, which is what you pay me to do here at Tipperon Baptist Church. And I've learned some things. I learned that Mr. Rogers was a graduate of a Presbyterian seminary, was commissioned by the Presbyterian Church as a minister to children. I learned that he received some 40 honorary degrees, a Presidential Medal of Freedom, even has a meteorite named after him. But most importantly, I I read stories of television reporters and television personalities who got to meet this man. And he invited them into his life and into his home, into his church. And their lives were changed. And each of them talks about this unconditional love that they felt from him. This morning, we're reading a text that is quite popular, both inside the church and outside of the church. And I want to submit to you that this is the original question. Won't you be my neighbor? Let's pray and then we're going to dive in. Dear Lord, we praise you so much for your word. We pray, Lord, that it would speak to us today. That it would encourage us, that it would challenge us, that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10, we find ourselves in verse 25. And... What I want to do today, if you have been with me before as I've taught or as I've preached, I really like to see what the text gives us. So, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight three questions that are found in this scripture and three answers that Jesus gives us. Simple enough? So, if you're taking notes, write down the questions and then the answers that the scripture gives us, and you'll see how that works out. The first question we have comes in verses 25 through 28. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. So we get this instance of this man coming up to Jesus, and he's a lawyer, which basically means he's an expert in Mosaic law, and an expert in the Old Testament law. And it tells us right at the beginning that he's coming with a question for Jesus, but he has a bad motive. And we're going to see that motive right in the first question. The first question, if you're taking notes, is this. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we we see that this man is coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, what can I do to get to heaven? As any good lawyer wants to do, he wants to follow the rules to get to heaven. And and what he's trying to do is work himself to heaven. Jesus answered, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? Then we get the first answer to the first question. Shall love your Lord your God, with all your heart? With all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. All you have to do is love God perfectly 100% of the time, and love your neighbor perfectly 100% of the time, and you can work yourself to heaven. Jesus said, that's right. Do that and you'll live. And you see, you and I laugh because we see the problem in that already. In that it's Impossible. You see, it's easy for me to love God right now as I'm preaching from his word. But what about when I go to work and someone makes me angry? Or what if I go to school and I'm tempted to cheat on a test? Or what about when I'm at home in front of the TV screen or in front of the computer screen? Then it's a different story. And it's easy for me to love my neighbor as I'm in church and everybody's cool with me. But what about when someone cuts me off on Highway 101? They're no longer my neighbor, right? Or what about when someone disagrees with me? And I'm really right. What if they misunderstand me and they do something I don't like? You see, there's where it becomes a problem. It is impossible for me to love God 100% of the time and to love my neighbor as myself 100% of the time. You see, this man is, is doing a form of legalism. And Jesus says, if you do this, you'll live. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to convict him that it's impossible. As Tim Keller says in the book, Generous Justice, one problem of moralism or legalism is that it's profoundly hypocritical. There is no way this man is going to do this perfectly. So there must be a second way. And Jesus is implying that and saying, do this and you'll live. He's saying, dude, really? Look. Look. Look at me. Look at me, the one who is doing this perfectly. Because you see, the second answer to this question is implied. Either you can work your way to heaven by being perfect, or you can have faith in the one who was perfect. The book of Luke, if you study the book of Luke and look at the places, it's literally coming from somewhere to another place. And where the book of Luke is headed is to Jerusalem. The entire book of Luke, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. And those of us who are who have just celebrated Easter know exactly what he's headed for in Jerusalem. He's headed for a cross. You see, for us to love God, we must first realize that we were first loved. The, a Puritan prayer from the book of Valley of Vision says it this way. Pardon the King James English. It is thy will that I should love thee with my heart, soul, mind, strength, and my neighbor as myself. But I'm not sufficient for these things. There is by nature no pure love in my soul. Every affection in me is turned from thee. I am bound as a slave to lust. I cannot love thee, lovely as thou art, until thou dost set me free. We cannot love this way until we realize that we've first been loved. The, the New Testament paints every single one of the instances where it says that Christians should love people or love one another. Every one of them is based on the cross. Here's a couple of examples. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, so we ought also to lay down our life for our brother. It's based in the cross that Jesus Christ already laid his life down for us. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ Love the church. All of our love in the church is based on the cross. So we get to our second question here, found in verse 29 through 35. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Are you serious? This guy still doesn't get it. This guy's still saying, Jesus, okay, I'm going to find a loophole here. Legalism always has to find a loophole. He's saying, I'm going to figure out who do I have to love to get to heaven? And Jesus, Jesus, you can just picture him shaking his head saying, man, I'm trying to point it out to you. But he answers with a story. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of them. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. So we get the second question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with this story. There's a certain man who's headed from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now it says he's headed down because he's literally headed down. That's about a 17 mile road that goes down an altitude about 3000 feet. It is a very dangerous road, and it was very common for a man to be beaten and robbed on that road. So the lawyer, as he's hearing this, is saying, yeah, this makes sense. But then Jesus tells of three men who walked by. The first was a religious professional. A man who knew the Old Testament and knew Leviticus 19 told him to love his neighbor. But he passed by like there's a skunk on the side of the road. And then the second man was a religious semi-professional. He's not in the major leagues, but he knows how to swing a bat. He knows that Leviticus 19 says, Love your neighbor, but he does the same thing. Then a Samaritan. Now, there's a reason why it says, But a Samaritan, because the man here would probably gasp. Samaritans were half breeds. They're not pure Jews, they're not friends with the Israelites, they're religious heretics. Considered, He didn't go to the same church. There are socioeconomic differences. There are racial differences. The differences go on and on. This is the worst thing Jesus could say. That a Samaritan stopped. So the answer that we get to who is my neighbor. Is everyone. Regardless of our excuses. Regardless of. Their race, regardless of what they look like or how they act. It's everyone. You can probably see the despair on this lawyer's face. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out the apparent racism in the man's life. Jesus knew the man would not like this. This was this man's excuse. And the funny thing is, as I'm thinking about this applying to my own life, I realize that we all have excuses for not loving our neighbor. We all look for people to say, no, they're not my neighbor. They don't qualify. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most famous Puritan preachers, in 1733, realized that in his town in Massachusetts, there was this social dilemma going on where there were haves and have-nots. And he attributed this to a spiritual problem. So he preached a sermon called, Duty of Charity to the Poor. Where he labeled excuses that he had been hearing for not helping the poor. Now listen to these and see if they sound familiar. The first one. I would help the person. But their poverty is not extreme enough yet. They're not quite poor enough yet. Second one. I would help the person. But I have nothing to spare. I would help the person. But I got bills to pay Jesus. Third one. I would help the person, but they're not going to be grateful. They're going to be ungrateful for my help. And the fourth one, I would help the person, but they brought this poverty on themselves. This is own fault. And as I was reading this sermon this week from 1733, I realized that I've used every one of these excuses at one time or another not to help my neighbor. For 300 years, we've been suffering from the same problem. And I think for 2,000 years, we've been suffering from the same problem since Jesus preached the sermon. We make excuses. And one of these might not be your excuse, but I can guarantee you we can find one if we think about it. But the funny thing in here is that the Samaritan didn't use any excuses. And he had excuses. This road was dangerous. If he stopped, he could have gotten beaten. If he stopped, he could have gotten made fun of or not. The guy could have been ungrateful to him. They, he would have stopped, but he didn't have any money. And there's racial inequality, and there's all these different issues that the Samaritan could have used, but he didn't use these excuses. And Jesus is saying, Who is your neighbor? It's anyone in need, regardless of the differences you have, regardless of the excuses you have. Then we get to our final question found in the last two verses of the text. Verse 36. Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man said, The one who showed him mercy. Notice he won't even say the Samaritan here. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So the third question we get is, Who was the neighbor to the man? And basically what Jesus is doing here is he's taking that second question. Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And he's turning it completely around. And he's saying, how do I love everyone I come into contact with? He's telling the man, that was a bad question in the first place. It's not who do I have to love? It's how can I love everyone? It's a better question. The answer is, so we love with mercy. The answer is the one who showed him mercy. We love sacrificially. Henry Skugel in the book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man says, Love is the most valuable thing we can bestow. By giving it, we do in effect give everything that we have. He calls it a sort of involuntary death. True love is this kind of sacrificial love that is a death to ourselves. For the love of another. The Samaritan did this in six different ways. We're going to go back to verse 34 and 35. Notice this. I'll highlight them as we go. The first way he loved him. He went to him. Second, he bound up his wounds. Third, he poured on oil and wine. Fourth, he set him on his own animal. Fifth, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And sixth, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And then he says, whatever more you spend. I'll give it back. This man loved him in in a concrete, physical way. He didn't just talk about loving the man. He didn't just say, God bless you, and walked on. He loved him in a concrete, physical way. This reminds me of one of my favorite heroes of the faith. Um, Our youth have heard the story of this man like a billion times, but I don't care. I'm going to continue to share it. It's my favorite It's the story of St. Patrick. Patrick was born in... This is the audience participation part of the program. Somebody said Ireland. That's wrong. He was born in England. Patrick was English. And at a young age, he was captured by Irish barbarians. They were his enemy. They brought him back to Ireland as a slave. And while he was there as a slave working in the fields... He came to know Jesus through reading scripture, because what else do you do while you're sitting in the fields? And then something miraculous happened. He got this dream. And in the dream, God says, Patrick, you're going to escape and you're going home. And Patrick was pumped. And the next day he got up and several months later, he was back in England. And you can picture, Patrick, I mean, he's he's praising Jesus at this point. He's going to all the conferences. He's going to church every week because God has rescued him. But then something crazy happens. He gets another dream. And in this dream, God says, Patrick, I want you to take the gospel to Ireland. What? What? These are my enemies. These are the guys who who took me as a slave. If I go back, I might become a slave again, Jesus. But Patrick goes. And he spends the rest of his life preaching the word of God in Ireland. And hundreds of people get saved and the entire country is changed to what we know now as St. Patrick of Ireland. You see, he sacrificed everything. He even sacrificed his nationality. Most of us think he's Irish. That's how how much he loved the people of Ireland. That's how much he loved God so he loved his neighbor. What a great example for the church in loving our neighbor. I want to highlight a few applications as we come to the end here. First, our salvation is in faith, not works. That's key for this sermon because if you're here this morning and you've you've never realized that and you've been trying to work your way to heaven like this lawyer and you just now realize, wait a minute, that's impossible, I don't want you to go on to the rest of the text. St. Augustine um, is famous for allegorizing texts and basically meaning that everything stands for something else. And he did that with this text and we kind of give him a bad rap for it. But a couple of things he did that most New Testament scholars today think was really cool. He said that the lawyer in the story stood for the man that was beaten on the side of the road. Jesus made the man on the side of the road the lawyer. And he says that the Samaritan is Jesus. So we can't first realize that we should be the good Samaritan until we realize that Jesus was the great Samaritan, as Tim Keller calls him. You and I were the man on the side of the road that was dead in our transgressions. We were separated from God. We could not get to God. But God sent Jesus Christ, who was literally headed to a cross as he told this story, for the sins of mankind. You and I cannot be the good Samaritan until we realize that Jesus was the great Samaritan. If you've never been with us, at the end of service, we like to have a time where we play a slow jam and people come up. And you might think that's weird. But what that's for is for you to respond to the gospel. And this morning, if you're feeling the, the Holy Spirit work on your life, I pray that you would respond. You will never be the good Samaritan until you accept the great Samaritan. Second application. Some of you think you're out of the woods because I didn't hit you yet. Our love for our neighbor is based on grace, not on guilt. One of my favorite preachers alive, Dr. Tony Marita, calls this passion which leads to action. We have a passion for Christ which leads us to loving our neighbor. Julian the Apostate, one of the early emperors, hated Christianity. He spent his whole reign trying to stamp out Christianity. And this is is so cool. But he got mad because it kept growing. And he's wanting to see, why is Christianity growing? Check out this. He says this, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. You see, the Christians love the Romans better than the Romans love the Romans. Francis Schaeffer says that the best evangelism tool for Christians is to love each other. And I want to kind of extend that to say loving each other and our neighbors. If, If people look on the Christian church as this community that loves each other and loves them better than they can love themselves, they will notice the love of Christ. Finally, our love for our neighbor is sacrificial, not selfish. The Samaritan loved in two different ways. Physically, he crossed the road where others wouldn't. And we can love people physically by inviting them into our homes. People who don't sit in our small group. People who we usually don't hang out with. Last year, some 800,000 international students came to America. Nearly 70% of them were never invited to an American's home. Right now, there are 60,000 foster children in California, most of which do not have a home. How can we love them? We can invite them into our home. We can invite people into our home. Also, we can visit them in their affliction. James says, this is true religion that you visit orphans and widows in their affliction. There are over 200 million orphans in the world. We can love them by visiting them in their affliction. Last statistic, I promise. There is an estimated over 3 million migrant farm workers in America. Most of which are in the great state of California. How can we love them? I have a great idea. We can take a trip to see them this summer. Every summer we're starting this, this thing where we go to this thing called Feed Those Who Feed Us. And it's a great opportunity for you to live this in action. And visit those who you normally wouldn't. He also loved with his resources... I'm not going to pitch some kind of organization to you or anything, but I am going to pitch the ministries of the church. One way you can love your neighbor is by giving to the church. If you don't know Tiburon Baptist Church has a list of ministries that goes for pages, including ministries to the homeless, ministry to women and children who are homeless, ministry to migrant farm workers, ministry to prisons. One way that you can love your neighbor is by giving to the church and being a part of that and also giving your time to those ministries of our church. I encourage you that if you've never taken this step, if you're a Christian who says, I really haven't taken this step, talk to one of our pastors. We love to talk about these things. So as we close, I pray that you'll respond in one of these ways. First, if you're not a Christian... You'll know that you're saved by faith, not by our works. Look to Jesus. If you're a growing Christian who's never really taken this step, know that we respond because of grace, not because of guilt. If you're a maturing Christian and you're still working on this, remember that we should love sacrificially, not selfishly. Let's pray. Dear Holy God, we are in love with you. We praise you, Lord, that while we could not work our way to heaven, that you came. That you took a cross. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the grace to move on and to love our neighbors. Lord, we pray that we would respond now. Lord, that you would change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.